That is the function of building wealth through real estate, is to give you not only to build wealth, but to create the freedom and create that security so that you can live your life with confidence no matter what you're doing. And so the more that you can get your wealth to work for you, this is kind of like you will never truly build wealth if you are just applying your labor as an input versus an output, right? Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dash.Insider, the only place you should be if you want to create a life of freedom, choice, and abundance through real estate investing in Australia. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about creating a life of freedom, choice, and abundance, wealth creation, maximizing your capital opportunity. We're talking about lazy equity today. Gabby joined me on the episode today and it was fun. We talked about all kinds of stuff. We talked about what is lazy equity, how to use it, why it's important for building wealth. We even talk about how we bought a property for just $1,250 using lazy equity as a way to rapidly expand our wealth. We've since created from that $1,250 that we put in hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's been a tremendously good outcome for us. And you can achieve that too if you learn to think about lazy equity in the way that we talk about it today. So we're going to tell you how to do that and how to stay on top of it in your portfolio. So if that sounds good to you, then before you do anything, before we get started, click something. Just click anything really. Mostly click the subscribe button. Alternatively, click the share button and you'll get a little link, and you take that link, and you think, who do I love the most in this world? And you just send it to them and just say, I love you. Here you go. Here's the link to Dash.Insider, and they can check out this episode as well. So without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it, and I will see you on the inside. Welcome back to Dash.Insider. Joining me today, Gabby Lee Billing. It has been a couple of minutes since you've been on this podcast, and how do you feel about me introducing you with your middle name? That was intense. I wasn't ready for that. Jeez. I mean, it's the truth. So let's just let's just be real. I thought I'd get a little spritzy. Our whole, whole authentic selves today. Why not? Yeah, I thought I'd get a little spritzy, you know, like just mix things up, keep it spicy, bring in the middle name. We'll guess it. You're getting spicy. What's been happening? Name. What's been happening? I can't even remember the last time we did a podcast together, to be that honest. So question. Last time we did a podcast together, we talked about... Uh, limiting beliefs, how to overcome limiting beliefs. It was, it was a little while ago. It was a few episodes ago now. A few episodes episode. ago now. Good episode. Great Pretty episode. good. If you like that episode, anyone, if you're at home listening to this or in the car listening to this, let us know if you like the episode. The way you should let us know if you liked the last episode is just shout it. If you're driving your car, just shout it. Just like, yes, I like Let's the episode. All together, all together say, Yes, I love the episode. We'll pause for effect. And then when we get to the end of this episode, you can do the same thing again. Anyway, so let's, how are you? What's been happening? I'm good. I honestly can't think of what's been happening because there's always just so much happening. Do you want me to tell you what's been happening? You and I. have been traveling. Yeah, go on. You, you tell me what's been happening. We've been traveling. We've been to a couple of different places, Sydney, Broome. Broome. Uh, Broome is beautiful. Yeah. Broome is beautiful. Also, very interesting property market over there too, which is pretty pretty fun. Yeah. Currently in Bali, about to, you know, travel somewhere else. So, you know, we've been moving around a bit. Anyway, are you well? Are you happy? Are you excited to do this episode? I'm excited to get into it. I like, you know, I like you. I like hanging out with you. I like having a chin wag. So, let's get into it. Oh, let's get into it. So, we're going to be talking about equity today. And the reason we're going to be talking about this is not because I woke up one day and just said, you know what, I'm so in love with equity that I just can't wait to do a podcast about it. But you know what's really interesting? We actually had a few people suggest it. We had a couple of people reach out to us, longtime listeners of the podcast that said, hey, 
I've been hearing about lazy equity. What is it? Can you tell me a little bit more about it? I had a couple of members of the team say, hey, we've had clients that are talking to us about lazy equity. Could be a good podcast episode. And I thought, well, you know, give the people what they want. So let's talk about that. So I want to talk about equity. We'll talk about what is lazy equity, talking about how to find it, how to unlock hidden riches in your property portfolio, how to maximize your wealth creation opportunity, and so much more. So why don't we talk about equity and what it is and talk about lazy equity. We'll start there and we'll see where we go. How does that sound? Sounds amazing. What's equity, Goose? Well, equity is the difference in the... Well, Jesus, let me rephrase that. Actually, I've actually prepared for like how to explain what equity is. So it is it is the owned portion of your asset. So if you if you have a four hundred thousand dollar property, and if you have a portion of that which is debt, that portion is owned in effect by the bank, and then the portion that is not covered by debt, that is the portion that is owned by you, and that is in fact your equity. And so if you have a property um, that has no, if you have a four hundred thousand dollar property that has no loan attached to it, you own it outright, and the value of that property is four hundred thousand dollars. Then your equity in that property would be four hundred thousand dollars. If you had a four hundred thousand dollar property that had a ninety percent LVR loan on it, then your um, owned portion of that property would be forty thousand dollars. Now, the interesting thing about equity is it comes in. We'll stick to the context of property. Well, maybe not. Who knows? I'm no promises. We could go anywhere, but. In the context of property, the way to think about it is your equity can come from two or three key sources. So in the first instance, when you buy a property, you will typically need to contribute capital to that property. That will make up the initial portion of your equity. Now, I say typically because you can actually get 100% loans, although they're very uncommon and you know whatever. So typically, you're going to need to provide some capital. That capital is going to form your equity portion of that property, whether it be a 10% LVR, a 20% LVR, or whatever, right? If you put a $100,000 deposit on a property, that's $100,000 of equity. That's what you're starting with. Now, mm-hmm. the other ways that you can create or where equity can arrive from is through the change in value of the asset or through additional capital contributions. Now, the reason I said that there's two or three different ways is that you've got the initial way that you put your capital in, that's one. Then you've got the change in value of the asset, that's two. And then you've got the additional capital contributions, which is three. Now, the additional capital contributions can come from typically two sources. Either you can make additional payments into your property to pay down debt faster and subsequently change the relationship between the amount that you owe versus own what versus what the bank owns. So therefore, you can increase your portion of equity or it can actually come from your tenants or from the revenue that's generated by the property. So you can have somebody else contributing to actually creating more equity in your asset. So you've got a few different ways that equity changes in the asset specifically. Okay. Does that, do you think I've explained it well enough? You have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so when people pay, obviously when you are repaying a mortgage, there's options to either do interest only loans, which is self-explanatory. You're just paying the interest or you'd pay principal and interest loans. So that last scenario you were talking about was that P&I side. So the principal piece is actually you are essentially repaying and reclaiming ownership gradually over time of your own equity. Yeah, which is really, really interesting, right? Because people don't actually, I know we're supposed to be talking about lazy equity. We're going to spear off into like some other direction. We're going to go side quest, side quest. Um, What's really interesting about what you just said is that, People think about a principal and interest loan and they just think like, I'm paying down my loan. I'm paying Mm. back the loan. I'm paying back my debt. 
Well, that is kind of true, but actually what you're actually investing in is you're investing in purchasing more equity in the asset. So just in the same way that if if you think about you know shares, right? So for example, if you had uh, $1,000 in your hand and you had a choice between putting $1,000 to pay down additional principal in your um, uh, property or buy $1,000 worth of shares, you're effectively doing the same thing, shares in like BHP or something. You're effectively doing the same thing. You are choosing to allocate capital to purchase additional equity. You're either going to buy equity in um, BHP or you're going to purchase additional equity in the asset that you own. And so people need to think about that as part of the kind of, you know, capital allocation total return basis because when you've got a principal and interest loan, the principal that you're buying, you're actually turning you're actually taking those profits and reinvesting them to buy back more equity in the asset. So that's just an interesting thing for people to consider as well. Now, the concept of lazy equity is pretty simple, actually. Lazy equity is the equity that gets created with the least amount of energy, effort, or work, right? It's making money by doing nothing. And that typically <laughs> is comes from the change of value of the asset. So if the asset goes up in value, you have made money, you've increased your equity without doing any additional work. So the other ways that you do it, aside from like tenants paying down it, is requires you to contribute. But lazy equity is the equity that's created purely by properties changing in value. And so if you've got a $400,000 property, and let's just for the point of the um, for the point of the exercise say that you've got a, a $360,000 loan on it, which would be a 90% LVR um, loan on it. And then let's say, so you've got a $360,000 loan. Let's say that $400,000 property becomes a $500,000 property. Your loan doesn't change. Well, I mean, it changes if you're paying it down, but it's still $360,000. But what's changed is the value of the asset. So all of a sudden, you've, you bought a $400,000 asset. You used, you used a $360,000 debt instrument to make up the, the amount of money that you didn't have. So you put $40,000 in. You said to somebody else, hey, do you want to fund? Do you want to finance the acquisition of this asset? They give you $360,000 to acquire the asset. The value of the asset changes. But the cool thing about debt is that they haven't actually purchased equity. They have actually just um, purchased a covenant on the right for you to pay back secured against some of the equity, which means that as the value of the property changes, the size of the debt doesn't change. So what you've then created, you've put in for in this in this example, you've put in forty thousand dollars, you've borrowed three hundred and sixty thousand dollars, the asset has changed to uh, has grown in value by a hundred thousand dollars. So you've effectively made a hundred thousand dollars of additional wealth, of additional value, and only put in forty thousand dollars, which is a very, very good return. And so now your total equity in that property is $140,000 and the bank's equity or the bank's the bank's you know contribution or kind of like covenant against ownership in that in that property is $360,000. So that is in effect lazy equity. It's the it's the it's the value that gets created while you sleep and that in fact most investors are sleeping on. That makes sense? Yeah, it does. The thing that I'm like chewing on here is the phrase lazy equity seems to have quite a negative connotation and I'm curious to pull that apart because I think for a lot of property investors, you kind of think, isn't that the goal? Isn't it a goal to have this portfolio, these assets that are growing without me doing any work? Isn't that the goal? Why is lazy equity mm. bad? Well, that's a really good question. So the way that I've described lazy equity is probably only a part of the equation because you're right. The implication with lazy equity is that it's a layabout. It's actually not doing everything it could do, 
So on the one hand, you can be lazy as F and get a bunch of equity. Woohoo! But on the other hand, if you think about every dollar that you've got as being a little worker, right, for you, and you want every dollar that you've got in wealth to go to work and go and make more dollars. If you've got a whole bunch of equity sitting in your property and it's doing nothing, it's not making you any money. So it's basically lazy. It's basically sitting around, it's freeloading, it's doing nothing to build your wealth realistically, right? Now, I want to preface this by saying there's a time and place to use equity. And sometimes leveraging properties beyond, you know, you can end up leveraging properties beyond your risk profile and beyond your capability. So sometimes the function of equity in your portfolio is in fact to provide you with the sleep at night factor. That can actually be valuable, right? So if you've got if you've got surplus equity in your property portfolio and that is the thing that allows you to sleep well at night, then you would argue that that is money well spent, okay? Yep. But if you have un- unknown, unseen, undefined amount of equity in your property portfolio that isn't being deliberately put to work in a conscious kind of way, then that equity is in fact quite lazy and is doing nothing for you. And there's a very strong argument to suggest that you should you know, whip it into shape and get it to work. Does that make sense? Yeah. So in essence, it's people not realizing that they have this additional kind of wealth base that they could actually be getting better results from. Is that the essence? Yeah, that's essentially it. Now, and the the reason for that is because in real estate, we don't have good measurement and tracking systems. Mm. If you go and buy shares, you you the amount of share trading apps and share portfolio apps that exist out there is just phenomenal, right? And so you can literally, on a like per minute basis, see what the value of your equity is if you've got your money in shares. In property, you can't. And so you actually don't know whether or not, most of the time, you actually don't know whether or not you've even got any equity in your property portfolio. You could have a ton. You could have heaps of equity. You could have hundreds of thousands of dollars just laying around, sloshing around in your portfolio, doing nothing, and you could be putting it to work. And so- that is actually, in fact, part of the problem and part of the reason why people end up with lazy equity because they don't have the right measurement tools in place and they don't have a systematic approach to going and checking. So that's one of those kind of like tricky things with property is you've got to go out of your way to go, hello, can someone tell me how much my house is worth? You can't just log on somewhere. You can't just like, you can't even go to like, you know, you get those automated valuations on websites like Domain or or realestate.com.au and you go and you put in your address and it gives you like some automated valuation. You can't do that. That's nonsense, right? They, they are never accurate. So the only way that you can actually do it and try and define it and try and actually understand if you can do anything with it is to get a reference from someone who may potentially be prepared to actually give you money against that value. Now, a couple of ways you can do that, right? So for example, well, you know, I'll stick to the, I'll stick to the easiest way. The easiest way to do that is to actually think who would give me money based on the equity in my property, and it's probably going to be a bank. Great. So then you can get what's called a desktop valuation, or in fact, depending on the property type and depending on the need and all of that kind of stuff, you could get a full valuation on the property. Now, the benefit of doing that is that is someone who has got an interest in providing you security against that additional equity and thus creating liquidity in that uh, portion of your asset. And so if you wanted to be able to turn that equity into cash, and then if you wanted to be able to go and do something with that, such as buy another investment property and exponentially grow your wealth, then that is probably the best way to do it. Now, a lot of people don't know how to do that. Do you just walk into a bank? Like, do you just go to the bank teller and say, excuse me, um, 
yeah, I'd like to deposit $20 in my bank account. And by the way, how much is my property worth? No, it doesn't work like that, right? So they don't know what the hell's going on there. So you need to go and actually speak to a lender. Now you can, of course, go directly to a bank and say, I want to speak to a mortgage, speak to a, you know, a lender or a mortgage broker at the bank. Probably not the best way to do it. The best way, the smartest way, the way the most intelligent property investors do it is they go to a mortgage broker, specifically a mortgage broker who specializes in property investment because they're going to be the ones who know where which banks have got what tolerances at the moment and who's going to give you the best possible deal because it's not actually as clear cut as like this is the exact value of my house it is it is what is the value that someone is going to perceive my house to be at now just to give a different example of this if anyone has ever gone overseas and gone to change money they've gone overseas with like some australian money and they're, they're trying to change it into a local currency now depending on which money changer you go to you can get a different price for the money. You're like, I've got $10. Well, $10 should be worth whatever, some whatever the other currency is. But it depends on who you go to. <laughs> and it depends on how they're feeling and what kind of deal they're trying to do. So banks are doing that kind of stuff all the time. And so some banks, they're really hungry for more loans and they're actually prepared to say, yep, yep. No, no, we think this property is worth heaps. And other, other banks, they might actually not be looking to lend at, the, at that moment, which happens. And they might say, well, you know, we don't really care how much it's worth. So here's a low ball. And if you, you know, if you're interested in whatever, we can kind of talk about that. And so you sort of get to kind of play a little bit of a game here to unlock that. But then of course, if you can unlock that, then you can start to then redistribute that capital in it, you know, as it's liquidated to then grow your wealth more. Nice. While we're on the topic of banks, I think like there's a there's a loan structuring piece in here as well, right? To make so let's say people have this lazy equity sitting there, part of it surely is like the LVR on that property as the value is increasing, then your LVR so the the amount that you owe in your debt is coming down as a percentage against the value if the value is growing, right? So surely there's a piece in there where you want to try and explore, am I being the most efficient? Do I have the most effective loan structure as well, right? Yeah, bingo. And so look, the really the simplest way to kind of break this apart is um, a fixed term versus a variable mm -hmm. uh, term loan yep. or a variable interest rate loan. And so- there are benefits with fixed, i.e. you get to lock in your interest rate. And so from a certainty perspective, that's great. However, from a liquidity perspective, that sucks because in order to unlock the liquidity of that equity in your property, you're going to effectively have to you know, break that loan is mm -hmm. what they call it. And so often the break fees are pretty high. And so you can actually then basically undo any value if you created by locking in the interest rate by breaking the, by breaking the loan term. So this is definitely not financial advice and go speak to a mortgage broker to actually understand what's going to be best for your set of circumstances. My personal preference based on my risk profile and based on my understanding of property prices, interest rates, et cetera, my preference is to go variable so that you have optionality. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not for everyone. So I'm certainly not um, suggesting everyone go, should go variable. Go speak to someone and work out what's best for your individual set of circumstances. But my preference is variable so that you've got the optionality so that you can do so you can do things like refinances at different points in time to unlock the equity in your portfolio so that you can do other things with it. Typically, you need to have a valid reason for unlocking the equity in your portfolio. You can't just say, hey, can I take some equity out because I want to go to Vegas? Banks will say, that sounds like a shit reason for you to get equity out. And no, we don't feel comfortable securing you and Thanks. like providing liquidity <laughs> so that you can go to Vegas. That's not- Put it all on black, said Common Bank. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. But if you've got a valid reason, such as 
um, buying another investment property or doing capital works to the property or something like that, then you can typically you know validate that reason and they'll lend that to you. Mm-hmm. But again, only if you set up your loan structure in a way that you're able to refinance it and get more equity out. Yeah, cool. I want to just comment on that fixed versus variable piece as well because I think particularly over you know the last year or so with interest rate changes and everything, I think a lot of people, when they started to hike, people went, I'm going to fix it. And a lot of the banks really capitalized on offering these fixed rate opportunities because they want people locked in. Um, but what happens is then when there's still opportunities in the market in terms of like the, the property market and the kind of the areas that, like, you know, services like ours are buying, if you're locked in, it's common for it to be a two-year um, fixed fixed rate. And so when you're locked in, you have to say no to those opportunities. So we've had like clients in the past year that have actually fixed their interest rates and then a couple of months have gone past. They've done it because they want to secure their cash flow, which, you know, they totally have the right to do. But then a couple of months have gone past, they've adjusted to the new cash flow position and they're like, it'd be cool if I could go again, but I can't because the break fees on this loan are way too high. So I'm just going to have to ride out the next two years and wait. So that's two years of... Mm opportunity cost because they just kind of haphazardly really wanted to lock in that fixed rate. So I think that's just something to be mindful of, yeah. Something to be super mindful of because, you know, it's that kind of thinking that can really inhibit people's growth. So a lot of people in the current environment, particularly speaking of our clients, I mean, you know, we can't, you know, we don't know everyone's circumstances, but we do know the circumstances of most of our clients and they've seen significant growth. So people who have locked in interest rates said, I'm going to do fixed yep. for two years. And then maybe their property has gone up in value by $100,000. And if they actually had the capability to get that $100,000 out of their portfolio or out of their asset, they could do a whole bunch of other stuff with it. That could fund another purchase mm-hmm. or, you know, that could even fund, that could fund all kinds of things. So you could just refinance it, put it into your offset. Um, you could use that to offset any of the um, uh, additional payments in a higher interest rate environment. You can use the equity to pay for it. The very unpopular uh, opinion but I think using your equity to pay for it, to pay for itself, I think is a bloody smart move. To be honest, if you're you know if you're concerned about um, additional payments in your portfolio, it's like okay, well then why don't you refinance some of the equity out of your portfolio, leave it sitting in an off- offset, and let your loan repayments come out of that, because that way your your the growth of your asset is in fact paying for its own debt, which seems to me to be a pretty smart move, not a stupid one. <laughs> but people get freaked out by this kind of. This whole kind of concept of like, oh my god, you can't use, you can't, you know, leverage your equity to pay debt. So like, why not? Like, what is the function of this, right? Because what you want, what you're actually optimizing for, is how to live your best life and how to build the most amount of wealth and all of that kind of stuff. And if you're worried about, you know, compromising your current set of circumstances, your current life or whatever, using your portfolio to create the freedom that you want in your life today seems to me to kind of be the goal of property investing. So, so from my point of view, having that capability to liquidate your equity. To use it however you want, either to buy another property or to even park it in an offset so that you can use that surplus capital to offset any of the additional payments that are happening in a higher interest rate environment, that's useful. Mm-hmm. That's useful for creating health and happiness and all of these other kind of things that are going to be useful in your current day-to-day. So my this is part of the reason why I personally prefer variable, but again, it's not for everyone. And make sure you get your own personal advice. I know this is not financial advice. But thinking about the opportunity cost, as you pointed out, that comes from locking those things away and reducing that op- opportunity. Now, that doesn't mean you can't break one of those uh, uh, fixed rate loans. It just means that you're going to have to pay a break fee. And that break fee is typically going to be priced in such a way that you probably are going to undo any of the good that you would have done um, by, 
by having that fixed rate loan in the first place. So does that kind of, have we kind of like capped off on that? Does that kind of make sense on, on lazy equity? Do we, where do we want to go from here? Um, I have no idea. Okay, so we've talked about the importance of, we've talked about how to actually kind of stay up to date with property values, which is a really, really important thing. Because if, imagine, just imagine if you had created, imagine if you had $200,000 in the bank and you just had no idea. It was just sitting yeah. there. And it's just like you had an account that you hadn't checked or something. It was just sitting there. You just hadn't checked your bank account and there was just 200 grand sitting in there. How, like, you'd be freaking out. You'd be like, you'd open up your bank account one day and then find this $200,000 you're like, Oh my God, there's $200,000 sitting here. They're like, what the hell? That's effectively what is happening in your property portfolio if you think about it like that. And so I think it's really important to have a regular cadence of staying up to date with that kind of stuff. So we at, say we, Dash Dot, we typically do that for our clients every six months, get get valuation updates so you can kind of stay informed. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a pretty good cadence. You could probably do it more frequently if you really want to kind of stay on top of things um, and really get to understand how those valuations um, happen as well is going to be a really, really important thing. And again, use, leveraging your broker to do that. So if you, you know, obviously we help our clients do that every six months, but if you're not working with Dash, Dash Dot, which is totally fine, then make sure you go speak. I would suggest booking in a regular six-month catch-up with your broker to say, hey, let's do a bank valuation. Let's see what opportunities we've got out there. Is there any way I can get access to capital? Because the number one thing that stops people growing a property portfolio is access to capital. Well, there's three critical constraints access to debt, access to capital, and access to cash flow. And so if you're continuously checking in on that, then you're continuously pressure testing where the edges are around your portfolio and what your capabilities are. And I've seen the people who have a diligent approach to doing that continuously are the ones that tend to move a lot faster versus the ones who forget about it and go, oh, yeah, I don't know. We'll just see what happens. I don't reckon property prices, they just kind of forget about it and they drift. Maybe they check every one or two years and then get spontaneously surprised they go a lot slower than people who check in regularly. So I think that that is a really, really uh, important thing to consider. I guess the message here really is, number one, pay attention to your portfolio. Mm -hmm. Like recognize that it is an asset which is moving and growing. And number two, make sure you're not leaving opportunity on the table. Now, again, it's got to fit within your risk profile and everything that's going to be suitable for you and your family to make sure you're not overexposing yourself. But make sure that you're not leaving opportunity on the table when it comes to building your property portfolio. So, little story actually was going to be useful. So, um, many years ago now, or a few years ago, I said many like we're like sixty or something. <laughs> a few years ago, back in my day. <laughs> oh, back in the day, back when I was knee high to a knee high. Anyway, so a, a, a few years ago, Gabby and I bought a property for one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars. That's right, one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars. That's all it cost us. Mm-hmm. In fact, one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars, and we bought a house. That $1,250 has made us, I can't remember, several hundred thousand dollars now, right? At least at least a good few, at least $250,000, um, probably just in the last like four years, maybe more, maybe $300,000 in the last four years. And you might be thinking, you might be sitting there thinking, what the hell do you mean you bought a property for $1,250? Well, we actually leveraged this concept of lazy equity. So we bought one property. We bought it under market value. We knew it was under market value. That is not a common thing that you can do, but we actually we actually really spent the time to actually work out how this asset would be valued in that local market, and we realized it was an underpriced asset in that market. So we bought that property, 
Now, you typically can't refinance a property for the first 90 days. And so we bought so we bought that property and we knew it was under market value. So we spent the next 90 days getting all of our ducks in a row, getting all the paperwork ready. And on day 91, we went and did a refinance. We, we went back to the bank and said, hey, any chance we can have a little look at doing a refinance? I say we went to the bank. We went to a mortgage broker. And they, they revalued the property. And lo and behold... It was. It had gone up in value. In fact, it was slightly higher than the value that we had um, thought it was because it had gone up a little bit. But basically, we bought it under market value, so that equity was sitting in the property. We then refinanced that equity out, effectively into cash. In in effect, into cash, so we could spend it on the next asset. That equity covered all of the costs of the purchase: deposit, stamp duty, um, conveyancing, everything. We spent it on all of the costs for the next purchase. Except for it was like building and pest. I think remind me, Gabby, it was like building and pest and something else. Insurance that added up to, yeah, building and pest and insurance or something that added up to one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars. That was the only cash out of pocket expense that we had to endure. And then we bought another property, and that property, yeah, I think is nearly it was a, it was just under three hundred thousand dollars that we bought it, and it's um it's it's gone up, it's nearly doubled or something in the, in the last couple of years, which is huge. And so this is in fact the power of using lazy equity. And so this is something that we've done um, on, in all of our properties. We've leveraged equity to go and buy buy them. We've contributed capital at times as well, um, but but fairly marginal amounts. And so the idea that we could, in effect, put in $1,250 and then go and make several hundred thousand dollars over the last couple of years shows the power of actually using this kind of um, strategy to get ahead. Now, I'm a big fan of it because I'm a big fan of putting capital to work. Again, depending on your risk profile and all that kind of stuff. But for us, it was it was actually a real key to accelerating our property portfolio at the start. And I've seen loads of other people do it with a huge amount of success as well. Did you Do you remember that story, Gabby? Do you have any other insights you want to share around that? I do. It just got me thinking about like why we invest in property at all. Because like for you and I, we love our business and that is a wealth vehicle for us. It's a fulfillment vehicle. That's like a really active investment, right? We put in all hours of every day into that. And so for us, having a pop- property portfolio that is, you know, quote unquote, a little bit lazy, it's just kind of sitting around. We don't have to do much with it. It's just ticking away. Um, that's actually just the peace of mind and what that brings to you to have that asset consistently growing. And then when you get to a season of like, okay, I want to make it work harder, you can turn to it, work with your finance partners to get all those uh, valuations done. If it makes sense, restructure some loans, do a redraw, get some equity out, and then go again to add another asset, and then we'll just keep keep building up over time. And so that's kind of why we do it because it's this having this foundation that is separate to this other active part of our life. Um, it just brings a lot of of security in that sense. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and it's like it, that is the. To your point, like that is the function of building wealth through real estate mm-hmm. is to give you not only to build wealth, but to create the freedom and create that security so that you can live your life with confidence no matter what you're doing. And so the more that you can get your wealth to work for you, this is kind of like you will never truly build wealth if you are just applying your labor as an input versus an output, mm-hmm. right? So if your whole strategy is I'm just going to work hard you will never truly build enough wealth to create freedom. It's just, it's just like not possible or, or like highly improbable. Unless, 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 no, in fact, I was going to say, even if you did like the FIRE movement, financially independent retire early, but even that's not true because they specifically go and invest that capital yep. into other things. 
And so the only way that you're ever going to change that relationship between inputs and outputs is to apply leverage. Now, people think leverage and they think debt, but in fact, leverage means actually just changing the relationship between inputs and outputs. And so if you are able to, for example, invest in an asset like real estate, if that is able to then, if you're able to work hard and save up your initial deposit, then you put that into an asset which actually can grow for you and can turn that capital into more capital without you applying any more input, i.e. work, then you can use that capital to go and create other capital without putting any any additional work. You're expanding your leverage over your capital. That is the thing that's going to create freedom. And the faster you can do that, the more freedom you can create and the quicker you can create it. And that's the difference between people who create financial freedom faster and not. And it's not a, it's not really it's not rocket science. It's just about understanding how to deploy the current resources that you have in the most efficient way to achieve the specific outcome that you want within your own personal constraints. And those personal constraints are not just resources, but also appetite for risk and all these other kind of things as well and, and ability to put in time, energy and effort. So I'm a big fan of this. And I think that there's a lot of people, particularly people who own their own home, who might be missing out. Yep. So a lot of people buy their own home and because they're not thinking about it as an investment, they're only really thinking about it as as like a place that they live. That property can transform its value massively, and then people aren't thinking about how they use that. And maybe it's because they're thinking about, oh, this is my home, and I would never, you know, we should be paying down all the debt or whatever. But if you can create, if you can use that asset that you've got to create more freedom faster, you're going to be able to live the life that you want sooner. So I think this is a big, big key to that part of the story. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Well, I think we have hopefully. Added value <laughs> to people who want to think about how to leverage equity and how to use lazy equity to create more freedom in their life today and on an ongoing basis. If you've enjoyed this episode, let us know if there's any other things that you want us to cover. Because remember, the reason we covered this is because a bunch of people wrote in and said, like, what is lazy equity and how do we use it? And, you know, we probably should have talked more about the owner occupier a bit earlier in this earlier in the episode, but I think that's a really useful place as well. Nonetheless, let us know if we ticked, scratched your itch and ticked your box. And if you've got other things you want us to talk about, send us an email. Gabby, what's the email address? The email is podcast at dash dot dot com dot au. If you are watching this beautiful video, if you see our faces on YouTube, drop us a comment because I'm like, I'm I'm hanging out on YouTube quite a lot these days. So if you drop us a comment, I'll pick up and respond to you as soon as I can. But yeah, if you loved it, let us know. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.